Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else. Including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I chose to stick with the non-thing of Aktier instead of something about stocks, but... Hope you understand what podcast you're listening to. Anyway, very welcome. And uh, I'm just going to do a quick introduction since we decided to split the episode with David Wu into two. Um, it's just going to be a quick recap and then we're going to go right into all the good, juicy things David Wu has to say. Perfect. First off, uh, Sandvik, the Swedish company producing mining equipment, had another stable quarter. And that's always something you want to see. Um, and they see no tendency of uh, a bad economic future. Uh, but we'll see how that pans out. The stock was almost traded up 5% this last Friday. And uh, the same could be said, or the same can't be said about Ericsson. Uh, it was uh, the stock reacted 5% down. So they went two different paths. Uh, and what's What's worth mentioning about Ericsson is that they had a settlement with Apple, uh, which is profitable for the company. But um, uh, the Iraq bribery that uh, uh, panned out some some time ago back is uh, that they took some, they wrote off some money to cover the fines that they pro- most likely will receive for uh, the bribery charges. Uh, also worth mentioning is Mag Interactive, the the game developer. Uh, I know it from producing quiz campaign or also quiz duel but they also do develop different word type games um, let's say it was a disappointing quarter uh, at least what that's what the markets thought the stock traded down 20 percent after their uh, quarterly report last wednesday the 19th and uh, worth mentioning there is that the revenue grew a quite considerable amount but Uh, wasn't really up to par. Meanwhile, the profitability was down significantly. 
They spent a lot on user acquisitions, which should have maybe panned out in in even larger revenue growth. But uh, as we can see, the cash flow and the company spendings has taken a toll on the profitability. But uh, nevertheless, it's a big Twitter case. And also, uh, before we jump into it, I'll just put a little quick disclaimer. Remember that everything that's said and mentioned in this podcast shouldn't be viewed as financial advice. And remember to always depend on your own and continue on your own analysis. Perfect. And uh, we'll jump right into the interview with David Wu. Twenty twenty three has had a very interesting start of this year. Uh, we've seen rates going down. Uh, stock market has been mainly upwards going, at least in Sweden. Um, how do you see the current market situation? What do you think is going to be the key play here in twenty twenty three, David? Yeah, Tim. You know what? You know, usually January is about the so called January trades, right? Because at the end end of you know the previous year. You know, the big banks put out their big, you know, year ahead reports. And essentially what the market does is to follow the script. So from that point of view, January very often is about the type of investments that investors will like to basically get into, position for, for the entire year. So generally speaking, by the way, it's interesting because, you know, even though everybody talks about long-term investing, the truth is people are fairly short-term. And at the end of the day, you know <laughs> what, it, it, and so from that point of view, people don't want to basically miss the January trades because normally January trades always invariably blow up by basically February. So people want to get in on the January story. But what is interesting about what's happening this January is so is so contrasting to what we went through last year. Believe it or not, if you to me, the most telling part of the global market is what the U.S. one-year inflation swap is trading at. So inflation... Okay swap is basically you know interest rate swap but linked to inflation okay and it gives you the most precise measure of market's inflation expectation so if we look at the one-year inflation swap it tells you what the market thinks inflation is going to be in the us in a year from now and guess what that baby right now is trading just at two percent it's pretty really? amazing only two percent yes. that's crazy insane. low no okay. that seems yeah unbelievable almost and that's not even headline inflation. I mean, that's not even core inflation we're talking about. That's headline inflation, right? So headline inflation wow. in the U.S. is 6.5% right now. The market is basically expecting, market right now is expecting inflation to collapse. Okay. Mm. And so from that point of view, like you say, well, how is that even possible? Like, you know, you know, and then it's interesting, what does that mean? So the market think, it doesn't really matter what I, you know, what I think, but right now the market is trading with so much conviction about inflation going down to 2%. The fact that inflation break even is trading at 2% tells you the market is not even building any kind of uncertainty premium, okay? You know, just tells you how confident the market is in this forecast, 2%, okay? Now, this is also the reason why the market is absolutely convinced there is no need for the Fed to actually take rates above 5%. 
okay, hmm. which is what the Fed has been telling us. And the market definitely does not think the Fed will have to basically keep rates at 5% for very long because right now the market is already pricing in cuts, okay, in the second half of the year. So basically, so you said, well, how is that possible? Inflation is going to be at 2% and then the Fed is going to be cutting rates already. The only possible way for this to be true, of course, is if the U.S. goes into a recession, right? Hmm. And I'm not saying, you know, there are people out there who are talking about recession and so on and so forth. But if the bond market is convinced that a recession is around the corner, it forgot to tell the stock market. Because <laughs> year to date, okay, if you look at the cyclically sensitive sectors, like basically consumer discretionary, like industrials, they've done actually pretty well. Okay. Yeah. So from that point of view, like, so therefore, I think, if you think about market in a holistic sense, I don't think the market is pricing in a recession. What the market is pricing is a soft landing. Okay. The market thinks that inflation is going to come down quickly, which means the Fed won't have to be so aggressively hiking rates. As a result, the economy is going to basically get some relief. Okay. Basically going mm. to the second half of the year. That's why the cycle is doing well. And then to the But is even the market, a soft landing possible? Well, that's it. Well, we're going to, we're going to come to this. Why soft lending it, to me is, is completely ridiculous. But the point here is that that's what the market is basically <laughs> building up right now. Right. I mean, it's actually interesting because yesterday's CPI number in the U.S., it came in exactly in line with expectation. Okay. And yet rates went down 10 basis points, 10 year rates, and the stock market went up some more. I mean, it's shocking, in fact, because if you look at the CPI number yesterday, if you look at the breakdown, in fact, no surprise there that, you know, you know, CPI for goods, manufactured goods, okay, continues to decline for all the reasons I've been talking about for some time. But the most important measure, which is the core services component, which is what the Federal Reserve pays most attention to, actually went up last month, okay, mm. relative okay. to the month before. Okay, it's actually at the highest level, I don't know since when. And that is generally, you know, because core services is important because 70% of core inflation is core services, mm. 70%. And core services inflation, generally speaking, you know, basically is correlated with wage growth because labor costs is such an important part of the yep. service, basically, uh, industry. Could you explain so exactly a, what's in the core services? It's like hospital as well, or like education? I mean, it's just healthcare, like it's, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Transportation, healthcare, you know, yeah. you know, housing, you know, yeah. basically anything that you consume that's not a good rather, you know, rather than services. And so, because, I mean, in, in industrial economies, including Sweden, basically, believe it or not, like manufactured, you know, the, the share of manufactured goods in your basket in other words in your consumption basket it's very small it's probably like less than 15 percent, by the way okay mm. and so from that point of view it's services that really drive you know the overall inflation therefore drives inflation basically monetary policy but my point to you is that it's incredible that the market is trying to you know convince itself that inflation was yesterday's story. In fact, even was interesting because last week already we had a weaker than expected German CPI number that got the market really super excited. Even European bond markets staged a massive rally, which propelled, you know, basically uh, Euro stocks 50 basically higher last week. That was a big story last week. Euro stock was the yeah. best performing stock market last week, the Eurozone stock market. Yeah. And that generally had to do with German inflation coming in lower than expected. But if you actually look at the detail, 
The only reason why German CPI came in lower than expected was because German government provided a huge one-off subsidies for energy use in December. And that drove down energy prices. That's the way they calculated. <laughs> and a more, a more important measure for the ECB, which is the core CPI in Germany, actually went up again. And then yet, you know, it's interesting when you when you read the financial media, not a single person can mention that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet I know Christine Lagarde is going to care a lot more about core service, core inflation, than she cares about headline inflation. So I'm just telling you is that right now, it's like, you know, like the market wants to believe a soft landing. And that's all people are talking about. And basically the financial press is basically joining the party. The banks, because they know that's what people want to basically hear, they're basically golding them off. And it's yeah. actually fascinating because this is why, you know, January trades invariably always blow up in basically February. But I think this <laughs> assumption that we're going to get a soft landing is so basically preposterous. I don't even know how to begin. But we can talk about that in a second. Also, yeah. also, isn't like the whole idea of getting a soft landing, is that not also like contradictory to what the Fed is trying to achieve? Like when people expect things to not be so bad, then it's like a counter a counterweight to the Fed's actual uh, rate hiking. No, I mean, no, no, the market is basically saying that inflation is going to come down, you know, mainly because of, you know, what the Fed has already done in terms of monetary tightening, okay? Mm. That, you know, the tightening over the past year, you know, basically uh, is already having a major effect at, you know, slowing the economy and driving down inflation. And as a result, the Fed won't have to do much more. That's the way the market is looking at this. But I personally think it's the wrong way of looking at this because I think, you know, the point here is this, you know, despite the Fed tightening over the past year, the reality is that the last six months, financial conditions worldwide have eased dramatically. And we know that ultimately monetary policy has an impact on the economy, primarily through financial conditions. Okay. And if you look at financial conditions, you know, stock markets are higher, bond yields are lower, mortgage rates are lower, the dollar is weaker, all these things. So from that point of view, the fact is that the market has been fighting the Fed in the last six months and has been offsetting the tightening that should have happened, okay, mm -hmm. you know, 2022, but they never did. This is the reason why the economy is not slowing, okay? If you actually look at the job growth, I mean, last week, for example, you know, job growth is still running at about 200, 250,000 basically a month. And then yeah. with unemployment rate at 3.5%, are you kidding me? It's really low. That means really that low. the strong wage growth is not going to be decelerating. And then right now, with all the reshoring from China, you know, last year was a record year for reshoring. 350,000 jobs came back from China. And this is <coughs> set to continue this year, and it's going to accelerate in Europe, by the way. What this means that, you know what? Certainly, the very tight labor market cannot meet, okay, the need for skilled labor, or any labor for that matter, as jobs basically come home. And as a result, that is exacerbating, okay, the tightness of the labor market, which means the central banks will probably have to overshoot. Mm -hmm. Now, so I think, you know, from that point of view, like the issue here is not that whether inflation is going to come down. The issue here is whether it's going to go back to 2%, right? And this is true yeah. for the Riks Bank, for the Fed, for the ECB, and so on and so forth. I mean, these guys are not going to allow, they're not going to take their foot off the brake until like inflation gets back to 
You know, and this is what people don't realize. It doesn't matter if it goes from 9% to 7%. <laughs> We're still very, very far away mm-hmm. from getting back to 2%. And to me, there is like, especially in Europe, you know, like I think even like, you know, the ECB is belatedly recognizing that the longer inflation stays at 7, 8, 9, 10%, okay, the greater is going to be the so-called second effect, second round effects associated with inflation, right? What are second round effects, yeah. right? Inflation goes up and then the workers say, you know what? It stayed at, you know, double digit for too long. We want higher wages, right? Mm. So you see industrial actions, you know, basically. And then, yeah. and that's how second round, that's how you get a wage, wage price spiral. And I think we're seeing that already in Europe, obviously. Yeah. And this is, in fact, the single biggest concern for the ECB not right in now. Sweden, though. So the point here, this is, the, we are not in Sweden yet, but the point here is that the higher yeah. inflation stays high, the greater is going to be the risk of second round effect. Yeah. That's why central yeah. banks have to crack down quickly, okay, without yeah. allowing the second round effect to basically take off. There was a state union party in Germany that managed to raise uh, wages, I don't remember which industry, with 10% across the board. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know the EF Metal, Metal right? had high yeah. expectations as well, but in Sweden, like the the unions have barely like tried um, to get like these high wages. They they like wanted like four percent or something, yeah. which is like good I for the economy, just... I suppose. But yeah. at the same time, they're supposed to represent their workers, yeah. so it's like a weird paradox. I think they just hired the wrong negotiator, to be honest. <laughs> maybe, Listen, maybe. Just yesterday, you know, there was a, a strike ended for nurses. These mm. are this like something like ten thousand nurses for the hospitals in yeah. New York City. They got away with a nineteen percent wage increase. Nineteen uh, percent. <laughs> what? That's a big. That's a big increase. And healthcare they also do some is heavy one lifting. of the biggest sector. And mm. healthcare is the basically the second biggest weight in core services inflation after. Health. Oh yeah, right. Oh wow. Yeah, mm. didn't uh, some of the Fed um, share sh- like speakers? What do you call them? The the chairman didn't some of them go out recently and say that we want to get close to six percent? I don't know. I think they're going to go to six percent. I don't know. I haven't heard that, but definitely they no. they want to go above five, 5. and 5. basically yeah, keep it at 5. five for a while. And I think yeah. what they, the Fed right now is having a heart attack because, like, it's ironic because you know. They're, you know, like they don't think inflation is going to come down that quickly. Obviously, they don't think the inflation is going to be at down at two percent by the end of next year, this year, as the market is currently pricing. So, therefore, they think that the market, by pricing in cuts, by driving the stock market, is actually, you know, being counterproductive for what they're trying yeah. to do. And they're worried. I mean, they're worried that what this means is that they might have to keep going. They might have to hike rates even more than they want to. You know, because the market somehow is too stupid to realize that inflation is not going to come down so quickly. Mm. So it's ironic. Like, you know, what is, I mean, I'm sure like, you know, like, you know, Jerome Powell is sitting there thinking like, God, what does the market know that my team of a thousand economists do not? You know, (laughs) has the market gone insane? You know, true, true. And how, how do you think we can profit from this in any ways? Well, I think especially as retail traders. I think, first of all, I think, you know, first of all, you have to realize something, right? You know, like, in my view, the only way, the only way for the soft landing scenario to materialize, 
Okay. Is if energy prices continue to fall. Okay. Yep. Now, by the way, you know, to a great extent in the case of Europe, the reason why Europe hasn't gone into a recession, okay, already is because of course the, the moderation of energy price, whether it's because of the weather or whatever it is. So I think from that point of view, the outlook for energy price is going to be very important. I mean, to the extent that, you know, it will determine whether we can go into a soft landing or not. So from that point of view, already we're sitting here talking about something very important, which is like, well, you know, listen, if you want to have the market pricing in a soft landing, the only way you're going to make money is by betting against the market. And the only way that the market is going to be wrong, well, the easiest way for the market to be wrong is if energy prices turn out to be higher than expected. So the question then you say, well, you know, is that possible? What's going to drive energy prices higher? Now, in my view, there are two major factors that are going to drive energy prices higher. Number one, the reopening in China. Now, I think what people need to realize, okay, is that China is not only the second largest consumer of energy in the world, China is now the largest, basically, car market in the world. Just to give you a sense, like, because Volvo now is owned by the Chinese, right? Like, China last year (laughs) sold 25 million cars, okay? China, the U.S., which is the second largest, sold 15 million cars. Mm. The third largest country in terms of car sales is Japan and uh, India. They sold last year 4 million cars, right? So China is, like, off the chart, right? So this is what we're talking about, right? Huge Last year, because of the lockdown in China, because Chinese growth collapsed, Chinese basically oil consumption collapsed, right? I mean, basically. Okay, so right now, what's going on, what people need to realize is this. I mean, again, and I talked about this last time, which is that China's doing the China's doing what Sweden did in 2020, right? Which is, you know, what embracing herd immunity. Okay. It's actually very funny that a country, you know, you know, Sweden and China are the only two countries in the whole world that have gone down this path. And China's gone to even more insane, at a more insane speed because they're not even like Sweden at least tried to basically like keep the elderly out of harm's way. Like, I don't think the China's even trying to do that. Partly because I think the Chinese don't take, you know, Omicron that seriously. They're thinking like, Mm. this is just, you know. This is just basically a sort maybe of maybe it's also good for their aging population. <laughs> if Perhaps maybe it. they want to kill off some <laughs> of the aging population. But the point here <laughs> is that, in my view, okay, this is going to be record speed in terms of the time it will take for China to reach herd immunity. Right? Herd immunity is defined as let's just call it seventy percent of the population gets infected. I think we're talk we're away we are. Literally, two weeks away from herd immunity, by the way, if we're not there already. By the way, two weeks a week is very important because Chinese New Year starts on February 22nd, okay? Yeah. And my view is that... It's going to be a big COVID fest, probably. (laughs) I think there'll be a huge celebration or whatever it is. But the point here is, once you get to 70%, then, you know what, you're home free, as you know. Because once you are 70% that elderly people are going to be protected because like then it won't be able to spread because everybody's already been infected, right? So my point here is, and it doesn't matter because it probably because the Chinese, you know, life's so cheap in China. So, you know, for them to kill off a million or two people, probably that's just a big deal because you have to understand the Chinese, and this is not a criticism because I'm Chinese, 
you have to realize, like, you know, China in 4,000 <laughs> years of history, okay, actually is always basically give priority to the majority. As long as the majority is going to be better off, they have no problem sacrificing a few million people here, a few million people there, as long as it's in the benefit of basically the majority. So from that point, you can think of this as being very socialist, by the way, okay? So the point here is that, therefore, they think that the economy was doing so poorly, they had no choice but to open up, and they wanted, if they're going to open up, they're going to open up very quickly, so as yeah. to basically put it behind them as quickly as possible. And then even if it means that some people are going to die, so be it. So they've accepted that reality. Okay. And my point here is that literally in two, three weeks time, like China is going to be back to normal. Because literally when you reach heart immunity, that's it. Okay. Yeah. That's it. It's as though the whole country's got vaccinated and now basically is immune. And I think, you know, you're going to see explosive growth. I mean, there is no question about it. I mean, every Chinese is going to want to get on the plane to go somewhere. You know, they're probably going to go on vacation to Thailand, by the way, because right now, like a lot of countries are making it difficult for the Chinese tourists to go visit. They need to have a PCR test, whatever it is. But Thailand just actually dropped that requirement. So from that point of view, I think you're yeah, going to see that, like yeah. mass basically tourism pouring into Thailand. So, I mean, that's pretty bullish for the Southeast Asian economy in general, by the way. Oh. I think clearly... You know, you're going to probably see, you know, a strong increase in car sales. Okay. That probably should basically benefit Tesla, by the way, because Tesla clearly has been struggling mainly because of the slowdown in car sales in China, which is their biggest market. Now, but mainly, I think this is going to be very bullish for oil price. Okay. Oil price. And commodity prices in general. Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, Maybe I copper think, you know, or minimum, tin or something. Copper, you know, basically nickel, iron ore, you name it. Okay. The point here is that I think, you know, you, we have to remember China accounts for 40% of the world's consumption of base metals, like iron ore and copper, right? And again, it's the, it's the second largest consumer of energy. By the way, just this week, the Chinese government had just issued a huge quota for oil import because like the Chinese government understands that, you know, basically, you know, oil demand is going to go through the roof. So my view is that oil price has been going up finally a little mm. bit, but I still think it's the upside. And by the way, I think the important thing to understand is this. China recovery, okay, is going to be reflationary for the whole world. And that is going to complicate monetary tightening among the developed countries to the extent that it's going to basically keep inflation higher for longer. And as a result, basically delay any potential pivot from this hiking cycle. So from yeah. that point of view, I think China basically doing better should be viewed as a negative, okay, rather than as a positive in the past by basically at least the European and the U.S. economy. Yeah. Okay. You, and how this is something you, but very, very important to understand. What are the Chinese uh, oil import levels uh, like today before the big like uh, research so for example right now last year they imported about 12 million barrels per day yeah. i think this year is probably going to go down go up to about 14 okay easily yeah okay, okay. yeah so, it's so we're talking about barrels. like a, yeah a two million barrels per day there's no supply there's no like there's no spare capacity in the world mm. for too many except in russia <laughs> yeah okay that's where the dark and tankers the, come um, in right so basically so so that's one part of the thing which is that i think that china recovery is bullish for energy, and that is bad news 
for this soft landing scenario. Now, the other basically big, I think, negative, or rather positive for energy price, is that I believe that Russia is about to launch a major offensive in Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. And that is why. Yeah. And I think, you know, from that point of view, like, I think this is also the reason why I'm, I'm bearish the euro. I'm sure the euro, because there's no doubt, like, if Russia were to really stage a major offensive, you know, that's going to force the U.S. and the Europeans to enforce sanctions, okay, on the uh, existing sanctions on Russian oil export and oil prices going to go through the roof. Okay. And that would be bad for Europe. Bad for the euro, bad for European assets, and obviously very bullish for energy. So I'm very much of that view that I think the reason why the market still doesn't get it is because there's too much goddamn propaganda going on. Okay. Mm. People really don't. I think the average Joe has no idea what really is going on in the battlefield. Mm. I think the Ukrainians are getting absolutely decimated. Ukraine since 2014 has been building this what a Ukrainian marginal line. Okay. Yeah. All the yeah. ones from Solodar down to Bakhmu, down to Adivka, down to Marinka. Okay. That line of defense, okay, they pour concrete. There are salt mines. They're like literally like this mine all over is heavily defended. Okay. And you have to realize this is the reason why it's taking longer, okay, for the Russians to break through that line of defense. But as you probably know, you know, Solodar has now finally been taken over by the Russians, if not all of it, certainly most of it. And they're literally like three kilometers outside Bakhmut. I mean, Bakhmut looks like it's going to be fall very soon. Marinka is, looks like it's going to fall very soon. And what you need to know, the reason why Okay, Zelensky is sending enforcement after enforcement to Bakhmut to protect this line. Is because if this line were to break, and when it does, there is no fallback position for the Ukrainians. <laughs> mm, to the extent mm. you're talking about just like American style prairie, okay, it's not yeah. easily defensible, which will give Russian basically aircraft a huge basically advantage. It will basically make Ukrainian basically like troops on the ground, like shooting targets. Yeah. Okay. And the, the situation has gotten so urgent. This is the reason why all of a sudden, you know, the Germans say, oh, we'll send you some basically martyr, basically uh, APCs. The Americans talking about Bradley, the French basically the uh, MDX. Okay. <laughs> but literally, this is much too late. Okay. The point here is this, like, you know, they're all waking up to this reality much too late because the reality is this, like, in the fog of war, you never really know. And I think the problem with the West is that it's convinced itself that Russia was being beaten, that Russia was basically on its last knees, and so on and so forth. And I think the Russians probably want you to believe that, <laughs> partly, because wow. if you are preparing yeah, for true. a major offensive, probably you want to basically play along with that. Let your enemy underestimate you. The only basically person who has not underestimated the Russians is basically General Zeluzhny, who is the you know commander in chief of the Ukrainian forces. You should read. I mean, your listeners should basically get a hold of the Economist magazine two weeks ago and read the interview that Zeluzhny did. He 
I mean, listen, the, you know, the Ukrainians until now have been trying to talk big, right? You know, like, you know, you talk with yeah. basically Zelensky. I can't believe this man. Zelensky actually went to the Golden Globe. I mean, his people in his country are dying by the thousand. He goes to the Golden Globe and he's telling them that we're winning. <laughs> okay. Okay. But if you actually listen to what Zeluzhin said, he's painting actually a rather depressing picture. He thinks Russia is about to launch a major offensive. You know, so mm. he shares my view. And he says, we just haven't got the equipment or the manpower to basically defend ourselves against the next offensive. And so from wow. that point of view, what I'm saying is, I think this is going to come. And certainly, you know, because of the unseasonally warm weather in December. This is the reason why it took a longer than expected because, you know, the Russians wanted to wait until the ground is frozen over. Okay. Mm. Because, you know, only then, you know, it will give their tanks, their basically me mechanized units, basically a clear advantage in this kind of basically winter battle. And guess what? Now, if you look at the average temperature in Eastern Ukraine, it's about minus 10. <laughs> you know, it's been two weeks like this. Ground is frozen over. I think the Russian is going to go. I mean, I think very soon. I, I cannot tell you it's going to be tomorrow, next day, next day after that. But I assume it's going to be the next two or three weeks. Okay. So my view is that, you know, right now, it's very simple, right? So if I'm right about China, right, higher energy price. If I'm right about basically Russia, higher energy price. So from that point of view, I only need to be right about, I mean, I don't even have to be right about both. It'd be great if I'm right about both. If I'm just right about one, I think that's pretty bullish for oil. Okay. Mm. By the way, I don't like buying energy stocks because energy stocks are very expensive. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but oil price is not so expensive. Okay. But then again, you, you, like you have to then futures? trade futures. You have to basically futures. You, you have to buy futures. I like the June, the June, the June basically uh, futures, the June 2023 Brent futures, which I like. Okay. Yeah. Now, right now it's trading around 84. I think this can, can this this baby can go to 100. Okay, easily. Now, the, but however, I do, but I'm also hedging my bets. Like, I'm also basically, I said, well, you know, however, like, if, if I'm right about this, this is not good for the U.S. stock market. This might just basically throw the U.S., the global economy into a recession. And in the recession, oil price is going to be lower. So I've also shorted some S&P, you know, 500, basically, uh, June futures against my long oil mm. future, right? As because a hedge the, or also as, as a hedge. A, as a hedge, right? As yeah. a hedge, because it becomes a relative value trade, right? It's basically saying that China doing better and Russia attacking is not good for the West. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not good for the stock market. So you basically sell. So that's, that's the way I'm positioned. And, and I'm sure Europe on top of that, right? Yeah, so the Euro is because super I don't strong think right Europeans, now. Yeah. Especially given the fact everybody in the grandmother is alone the Euro right now. Right. I mean, this is yeah. also very important. You don't want to basically join the crowd of trade. The beauty of being selling the euro right here is the fact that everybody thinks the U.S. is going to reach, you know, soft landings or the Fed is going to stop hiking rates. Meanwhile, the ECB is now under pressure to keep going because the ECB started hiking rates later than the Fed. Therefore, now that the Fed is going to be stopping soon, the market believes the ECB is going to go on. So the interest rate differential is going to move in favor of the <laughs> of the euro this is why everybody mm -hmm. in the grandmother is alone the euro but my point is that in the event of war you think you know in the stock market tanking you think the ecb is going to be hiking rates at all <laughs> so no. i i think this is what i'm talking about it's like you know in fact if anything in that kind of scenario europe is going to be damned it's going to basically literally will be facing the worst of stagflation including sweden so i mm -hmm. think from that point of view again this is what we're talking about here 
So this is why, you know, you, it, and it's not just about politics, it's about politics, economics, about the market consensus, what could the market be wrong? So it's, you know, so you can see, you know, investing is not that easy, but because it's today nuts. increasingly, you, you guys keep talking about Sweden as though like Sweden is like a separate planet. <laughs> or, uh, Sweden is not a separate planet. Sweden is very much part of the global economy. And then, unfortunately, if you don't understand what's happening in the global economy, you have no business investing in Swedish stocks, especially given Swedish companies have a very global business model. And yeah, very export-reliant. Except for basically Swedish banks, most Swedish companies that are publicly traded, most of their business is outside Sweden, by the way. So I think this is, this is something very important. Like Sweden, for example, like, you know, where it gets interesting is manufacturing, right? Sweden was losing out. Like, you know, like if you look at Ericsson, not even so much Ericsson, what's it called? Electrolux, right? Yeah. Electrolux is a good example. Electrolux has been, you know, I mean, very little of the Electrolux manufacturing still happening in Sweden. So they've been outsourcing. No. Yeah. Okay. To basically Eastern Europe. They also the gave a profit warning Asia. like two days ago, I think. Exactly. Right. Because most of their business, most of their sales is in Europe. Right. And clearly Europe. Okay. I think it's going to be a, a big problem. Okay. If I'm right about basically this, this, the next phase of this basically war going on. And, 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 and I think, you know, also it has to do with the fact that, you know, it's become very expensive for European manufacturers, you know, Especially manufacturers now in Europe are now under pressure to basically uh, reshore their jobs away from China and then all sorts of kind of things, which is actually making things more expensive. Just think about this. I mean, German industries are now talking about deindustrialization of Germany, yeah. hmm. you know, as a result of very, very high energy prices. It's not even so much in absolute terms, that would be less of a problem than the fact that in relative terms, European manufacturers are paying much higher, you know, basically energy prices than their counterparts in China and United States, or even in Asia for that matter. And, and that clearly is going to have a big negative effect on basically Sweden. Yeah. Because Sweden still has a fairly large manufacturing base for a European economy, for example. Okay. And by the way, if I think about OMX, right, generally speaking, people think about OMX as being very cyclical, seems to be very, very, you know, um, pro-cyclical as opposed to counter-cyclical, meaning that mm -hmm. generally speaking, when you go into a, like a beginning of a global recovery, right, Sweden tends to outperform, okay? Stocky tends to outperform, by the way, also, because people tend to basically buy Swedish stocks at the start of a recovery, because if you look at the Swedish economy, it tends to basically lead the European economy as opposed to lag the European economy. So from that point of view, like if we are indeed going into a recession, a slowdown, whatever, I think OMX definitely is not where I'm going to be parking my money. So from that point of view, like, you know, for your investors, what you need to understand is like, it doesn't really matter how well you know a particular company, you think this company is cheap, whatever. You have to know, I mean, where, where how does this basic company fit into the global economic cycle? And where is yeah. the global economic cycle? <laughs> And what are the forces <laughs> that are going to be driving the global economic cycle? And then you can talk about, once you figure all that out, maybe you can talk about whether you think this particular Swedish company is attractive or not. 
Okay. Yeah. What do you th- what do you think about companies that um, use the energy problem right now as a key part of the business model? So I mean, like companies that provide like uh, solar services Pop or like or solar panels, batteries, or, or battle panels, heat pumps, because we need to take out the gas, basically, right? So let's talk about that for a second. So, so last year, if you look at, you know, obviously, like, you know, since 2020, everybody's talking about thematic investing, you know, clean energy and so on and so forth. Last year, okay, if you look at the various ETFs, okay, ETFs that are linked to wind energy was down 30%. Okay. ETFs that were linked to green hydrogen was down 60%. You know, ETFs linked to lithium battery was down 30%. So solar did better. Solar just basically broke even. Yeah. Okay. But what you need to realize is that the fact that, you know, listen, I mean, there are no obvious investments because everybody's been talking about clean energy. So for your little, basically, <laughs> uh, for your for your 25-year-old guy in Sweden, you know, who's investing <laughs> on the side line, like, you know, he's not going to know any more about what's going on than, let's say, the big guys who are, you know, AP3, AP4, AP1, you know, or for that matter, yeah. basically the big hedge funds, big mutual funds in the world, like, you know, who are really driving the market, right? Mm. I think the important thing, I, but I can give you an angle here, which is, I think, important. So what I'm telling you is that, you know, it's tough. I mean, clean energy sounds great, but it hasn't been a profitable business. And it, it hasn't been a profitable business for lots of different reasons, okay? Not least of all because the um, the technology itself is not quite mature. As you know about the screen hydrogen business, there are now increasing concerns about leaks, okay? It, <laughs> you're using green, and actually, that's become a major concern, by the way. The green hydrogen sounds like an amazing story, yeah. but if there are leaks, it might do more environmental damage, <laughs> <laughs> that actually basically fossil fuel. So this has become a major problem. So until they fix this problem, mm. you know, the commercial viability of the entire sector remains in basically big question mark. Mm. But there is one good story for clean energy story for Europe this year. And I'll tell you what it is. Okay. Go. Last year, as you know, Biden, okay, basically got managed to get to manage to get past, okay, this very green energy basically bill. With hundreds mm-hmm. of billion dollars okay and all that money is going to subsidies right basically it's like going to subsidies mainly to help u.s companies to yeah. fight off competition it's been, it's been criticized because, in europe actually exactly okay so basically china because you understand the chinese are now way ahead of everybody else when it comes to clean energy right i mean they're like you know when it comes to electric vehicles china's the biggest market solar they already dominate and they're ahead even in hydrogen, by the way, okay. In lithium batteries, they're the biggest, biggest after Tesla, okay. So the the Americans are Americans want to, you know, basically play catch up, okay, to the Chinese. They don't want the Chinese to dominate this entire sector, which obviously is going to be the future of the world, by the way. So what the Americans did was that they, you know, essentially adopted an industrial policy, which of course is a big no-no. Okay, basically for modern capitalist economy to direct, okay, money into specific industries. That is anti-competitive. But they did it anyway. That's how much they hate the Chinese these days. Now, the Europeans are saying, shit, like, you can't do this because by doing this, you're putting us at a disadvantage. Yeah. 
By the way, it's mm. not like the Americans give a damn about the Europeans, by the way. Oh, yeah. Had I they given a damn so. about the Europeans, they, wouldn't, yeah. they would not have basically blown up, you know, Nord Stream 2, by the way. I have no doubt it was blown up by Nord Stream. You know, the Americans blew it up. Really? The Americans okay. don't give a cool. damn about Europe. By the way, Timmy, do you remember? I talked about this in my class, that the Americans yeah. blew up Nord Stream 2. And guess what? Just two weeks ago, the Washington Post just ran a huge article. You should read this yourself. Two weeks ago, Washington Post ran a torture saying that after having interviewed 25 officials in seven, eight different countries, I imagine including Sweden, they said there's no evidence that Russia blew up Nord Stream 2. Okay. Russia. And I said this from the very beginning. It was not the Russians, it's the Americans, because the Americans are the only ones with an incentive to blow up Nord Stream 2. And the reason why they wanted to do it is because they don't want to give the Germans any reason to negotiate with Moscow. It's simple mm -hmm. as that. Because once you blow up Nord Stream 2, you know what? There's nothing for the... The Germans not going to get anything no. <laughs> by negotiating no. with the Russians. No. Okay? Exactly. And this is also why your own Navy, the Swedes, after many weeks of investigation came out and said they think they know who did it, but they cannot go public with the name because they said that will yeah. violate, that will compromise the national security. You know, you think the Swedes, if the Swedish, actually, the Swedes actually thought that the Russians blew up Nord Stream 2, they will hide it because it somehow doesn't serve their national security purpose? Give me a goddamn break. Okay. <laughs> no. So my point here is that the Europeans, it, with the most important thing was that Schultz yesterday, German Chancellor Schultz, yesterday came out saying, that he is now putting his support behind the push in Europe to come up with his own industrial policy vis-a-vis -vis green energy. Okay? And that is very bullish mm. for European green energy. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Obviously, mm. it's not bullish for, you know, basically, uh, it just means that, you know, by the way, what that means is that Europe will have to go into even more debt, right? Because you're talking about more subsidies, which means yeah. right now all these governments are running big deficit. They'll have to basically run up even bigger deficit. <laughs> okay. Take on more debt in order to subsidize basically their own green energy industry so that they can compete with the Americas. <laughs> it, the total yeah. thing is absolutely insane. But you know what? Some people are going to make some money from this. Yeah. So this is actually a time to actually start looking at European companies that will benefit from a massive increase in subsidies in Europe, mm. that basically going to yeah. European companies. Mm. Do you think the global debt levels is going to become a problem? That's already a big problem. Right? Yeah. I mean, let me just be, let me give you a sense. Like, if you look, I mean, obviously, it's less of a problem in Sweden and Norway you yeah. know, because you, you guys yeah, are we have low in a very, very good shape. But that's but that's uniquely Scandinavian thing. Okay, if you look at the U.S., for example, right? I mean, the issuer of the world's reserve currency. You know, U.S. Public debt to GDP ratio has now jumped to in 95%. Okay. If you just look at the narrow definition of debt, which is debt held by the public, basically a wider definition will put it closer to 130% of GDP. But most importantly, let me give you one number. Okay. As a result of, you know, you know, rising interest rates, the interest cost to servicing, you know, basically US debt, government debt has obviously gone up a lot. In the third quarter of last year, and it, it would have gone even higher in fourth quarter, in the third quarter of last year, interest payments, okay, on 
servicing U.S. federal debt was $738 billion annualized rate. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's such a big so number. Just give you a Holy sense of $738 billion. You know what that means? That means the U.S. government is now spending more on paying interest on its debt than it spends on education. Do you know that $738 billion, okay, mean is more than the combined spending on research and development by both the private and the public sectors in the United States. Mm. That's what we're talking about here. That's so basically, you know, this this is why this inflation, okay, has is going to be a double whammy. Because basically, you know, for a long time, governments can basically like spend money like there's no tomorrow because they were funding their debt at zero interest rates and Europe at negative rates. But now that, you know, inflation is high, interest rates are higher, like every dollar you're borrowing, you have to now think about like the interest you're going to pay on this. And the more you're going to be paying interest, the less you're going to have basically money in terms of funding other priorities like health, like education, yeah. or even defense for that matter. Mm -hmm. So now imagine you're in Europe right now, right? The German government's gone from borrowing a negative rates, now a positive rates, <laughs> right? Now they say they want to increase defense spending, right? They want to increase basically spending on green energy. And then the whole economy is now in, in general spending much more on energy than prior to the war because they don't want to use German basically uh, cheap oil yeah. and cheap gas. Just think about that. Mm. I mean, if this is not going to undo Europe, if that's not bearish for the euro, I don't know what is bearish for the euro. That's why what people don't realize is that Europeans are committing a total economic suicide by following the U.S. down this rabbit hole where they're trying to basically get rid of Putin. For me, just the total thing, one day somebody's going to write about it, the stupidity of it all. Maybe afterwards. That's going to be a great read. Yeah. But yeah, um, uh, I mean, some definitely interesting takes. And, uh, yeah, very interesting. I feel often that like the political analysis of like when you're researching companies and stocks is very overlooked by most investors. Like how, how would you conduct like political analysis or like viewing the political landscape of your sector or company that you're interested yeah, in? The first thing you need to do, you got to basically like follow the general news, right? So... We know that Schultz was in DC, right? We, I mean, if you were following the news closely enough, you would know that Olaf Schultz was in Washington, DC. You know that Schultz brought up the issue of the American subsidies with Biden, but Biden basically said, go fuck yourself, okay? Macron did the same thing, and Biden said, you know, stop it, okay? So you know that the Europeans did go to the American friends and said, you got to change this because you are, your policy is putting us at a disadvantage. Their American friends basically said, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> okay, we're not going to change. So therefore, now momentum is rising in Europe. Okay, that basically, we have to basically match this. So now, again, you in order to get this, you have to know, okay, fine. Macron was the first one who brought this up with basically Biden. Biden basically stonewalled him. And then Schultz did it again. And then, so... You know, there's a whole evolution. There's a whole process, you know, and, 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 and therefore you have to watch the news every day because like, unless you actually are following the news every day, 
But yeah. there's no way you can put one and one together and say, oh, wow, there is a continuous timeline here. Because usually there is a continuous, okay, sequence of events that usually leads to a certain action being taken. Okay. Mm. So that's very important. Okay. So, for yeah. example, the most successful hedge fund, okay, that ever came out of Sweden was Nectar. Okay. You've, you've heard of Nectar, right? So Nectar was a hedge fund. I think they closed down. Now it would become a family office. But in the 2000s, like Nectar, I think was managing north of $7 billion. They were one of the best, basically, like hedge funds in Europe, by the way, outside London. And, and they had a very global, basically, orientation. Sure, they took some risk in Sweden because a couple of these guys came out of the Swiss the Rick's banks that they knew the Swedish economy very well. So they were able to basically, um, they were able to basically make smart bets in Sweden. But generally speaking, they had a very good read about what was happening in Europe, what's happening in the US. Back then, nobody really cared about China so much. Maybe China was not exactly on their radar. But in general, like I remember, like, you know, at the time I was working at Barclays and later on Bank of America, I would be going, I would go to Stockholm like four times a year to visit the guys at Nectar who were trading <laughs> around the world. What I'm saying is like we talked about everything except for Sweden mm. because for them, like, you know, the playing field was really the global markets. They felt that they had advantage Sweden, Sweden only after they've understood what's happening in terms of the global, basically environment. And I think if that was the case 15 years ago today, it has to be like doubly true. <laughs> So my so 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 this is even just at a European level, you have to understand what's going on, okay? Because politics is what drives policies, and policies is what drives economics and markets and mar and economics drives markets. So you have to go all the way back. So you have to understand how this politics drives policies. My final question was, uh, do you have any concrete news sources that you would recommend uh, that, that you use or, yeah, if you want to follow the, the macro? Listen, honestly, I uh, read very widely. So, like, I, I, at a minimum, I mean, again, you know, I mean, listen, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I don't know if people are going to be able to do this, but you should read, like, I, obviously, I read the Wall Street Journal. I read Bloomberg. Okay. And read Reuters. I mean, that's the minimum. Right? If you're going to be involved in the markets. Now, FT is very expensive. So I can understand, like, you know, you're, you know, so I might be recommending FT to you guys. Well, so FT you is get free. Tip for everyone, FT is free if you are uh, Gothenburg University. Oh, okay, good. If someone okay, here good. is, is I think I there. think FT is, the FT is very it. good. Yeah. I so it. I think, obviously, FT, Wall Street Journal, like, the minimum. You basically, obviously, day to day, you got to read Bloomberg. Not because Bloomberg reporting is that great. It's just because 90% of people in the market, basically, they've got a Bloomberg terminal in front of them. So their view tends to be very colored by Bloomberg reporting. This is one of the reasons why I'm totally against Bloomberg, because Bloomberg literally has a monopoly, okay, on basically content, you know, dissemination these days, okay? And then as a result, like, Bloomberg's story can really drive the market, even, even if the reporting is wrong, okay? But it doesn't really matter. But my favorite, if, if I'm going to read anything at all, by the way, 
if I'm going to read, if I just want to read one thing, I know what I would read. I'll read basically Reuters. And the reason why, and it may be, you know, you have to sort of reach my, you know, years of experience to basically just rely on Reuters because Reuters, for the most part, is just about fact reporting. <laughs> These yeah. days, honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to read a piece of news that's heavily editorialized. Okay. okay? I don't want, I don't want people to tell me what this basically fact means. I just want to read the facts and basically and, and, and inform myself because if I have lots of facts, then I'm going to be able to string together the facts and make sense of them myself. Okay. Yeah. So I prefer these very pure, pure basically reporting the better. Mm. But again, Perfect. I read a lot. I mean, just, I mean, I mean, I mean, I read, the, I mean, I read, I mean, I read a couple of British newspapers every day, Telegraph and the Guardian. I read a German newspaper at least once a day. That, you know, I read a French newspaper. I read a Chinese newspaper. Wow. I read a few American and I read a lot of basically blogs and, you know, so, sort of like I read a lot, but I'm not expecting everybody to be able to have that level of basic, that kind of time, by the way, for that matter, because yeah. I, I do this, I'm still doing this for a living. So basically it's a different thing for me as part of my job. But my point here is that for a would-be investor, I would say that if you want, I, I would basically, if you're going to read one thing, put yourself on the Reuters alert. By the way, Reuters every day, they put out a basically market opening thing and then the, a market closing. All this is free. You can just sign up for it and they'll send it to you. It's good. And that's very, very important. And then during the course of the day, you know, basically put yourself on alert if there's like a major policy change, whatever it is, usually comes out very reliable in Reuters. I think the level of journalism is higher in Reuters than AP, or for that matter, basically Bloomberg. Okay. But again, you have to learn, you have to understand what are the major issues of the day so that you know what to read for, <laughs> right? Like, you know what? So from that point of view, am I going to uh, read about Greece these days? No, I'm not going to read about Greece these days because it's, I don't think it matters. So what I'm saying is at any given point in time, if you know what's important, then you will just follow the important stories and not waste your time with the less important stories. But to do that, what's in, to know what's important, you sort of have to follow the market's narrative. Okay, like what I'm just telling you right now. Like the market right now is cooking up the soft landing scenario. That's important, clearly, right? Mm. Because, like, therefore, the inflation outlook is going to be very important in terms of either reinforcing that scenario or contradicting that, right? I'm telling you that right now, a big story is China. So, basically, following China, it's very, very important about the basically perception of how quickly China is going to come out of this basically this transitional phase. It's going to be huge, mm. hugely important. Yeah. I told you about basically this Russia thing. So basically, obviously, falling closely, I followed this like, you know, I probably spent more time following the Russian war in Ukraine than anything else because that's mm -hmm. very consensus to me because there's so much goddamn propaganda going on. So you have to read through the noise to get to actually what really is going on and formulating your own view. That's not easy. All these things, you know, and then we said that I think Germany is going to be very, very important because Schultz right now is not in a good place, okay? He's he's basically, <laughs> he wants to basically, this is why, like, it's important. Because Schultz, on one hand, okay, he still views the U.S. as being 
you know, the most important ally for Europe. On the other, Schultz also said he wants to see a multipolar world. Okay. okay yeah. That's what he told the Chinese. So in some sense, Europe is going to move depending how, you know, Germany moves. And how does Germany maneuver itself basically between China and I think, you know, the U.S.? I think that's going to be a very important thing. And that obviously ultimately will extend to Germany. Mm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We have a final segment in the end of our show always where mm. we do something called Volley of the Week, we call it. Yeah. Which is like a, a quick a quick thing where we try to give a hot take or something that happened recently. <laughs> but yeah. you've been handing out very hot takes, of course. <laughs> the whole episode. the episodes. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, but maybe, Marcus, you want to say something quick? You have... Um... um. My ball of the week is that the Sweden house market is down more than I thought it would be. I think I heard that it was down. Yeah. Uh, housing was down, like uh, standalone houses was uh, 3% and then apartments down 1% in December. The, so th- yeah. that was uh, wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's or, interesting. Like, yeah, I saw yeah. I saw a Bloomberg article on it. And it's yeah. like, they're actually beginning into like using Sweden as um sort of bad example what's happening with this housing crisis yeah. uh, my short uh, volley is uh, unibap which is the which is a smaller swedish space company which is like data in space uh, which recently got a big order um for their space cloud uh, which was i think it was 62 million euros and and even though the company is not profitable at this point i think it's a it's a company you should be uh, you should pay attention to it i think in the upcoming mm. years so, David, what's your volley? I just want to basically say I, I, I'll, 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 I'll say that actually I, I, I tend to, I tend to uh, agree with Stefan Ingves, who's come out basically expressing his concern about the, um, the Swedish housing market. I do think yeah. that the Swedish, I mean, I think the Swedish basically housing debt is much too high. Now, and from that point of view, like, you know, the market is more overvalued than many other countries. And I think from that point of view, you know, Stegman Inves, who was the guy who actually restructured the um, the Swedish, you know, banking system after the collapse of the Swedish housing market in the early 90s, I think he's got a point. This should yep. be a major point of concern. I think, you know, from that point of view, again, if we go into a recession next year, this is not going to be good news. So I would stay out of anything housing related. 
he was in CNBC, right? In an interview. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe it's a tip to look up that, that as well. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, yes. uh, really let's volley, wrap this David. up. Yep. I really enjoyed really our conversation, volley, David. David. Yep. We also have to put in a financial disclaimers stating that everything that's been said and mentioned in this podcast should not be interpreted as financial advice. And remember to always do uh, your own analysis and yep. follow your own analysis. Of course. Great. And David, if someone wants to reach out to you or follow you on social media and your YouTube, whatever, can you give some? Yeah, so you can check me out on YouTube if you want. I mean, it's David Wu Unbound on the, um, on YouTube. And if you like, you know, what you get, you can always basically visit me at uh, DavidWuUnbound.com, which is basically my retail blog, which is a subscription-based blog. That's really yeah. cool. Great. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. And if someone wants to reach out to us, of course, you can visit our Twitter or Instagram at Nanting Om Aktier. Uh, and our Gmail is Nanting Om Aktier at gmail.com or is dot se dot com. Dot com. Yeah, of course. It's great. Gmail, bro. Okay. To all listeners now, I hope you have a good week. Happy investing. Take care, David. Yeah. Take care. Okay. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.